Have a seat, turn, let somebody know you're glad that they're here today. Uh, we had had an awesome, exciting week this week. Um, if you missed it, Thursday we had a uh, healing service, and it went so long that many people um, had already, by the time we finished praying for everyone, many people had left, and we didn't get to hear a lot of testimonies. We did have some who were still there at the end that were able to share with us. We had um, one testimony Thursday night of someone whose neck had been completely healed of pain for years. Um, we had someone else who gave a testimony about how um, their back had been giving them trouble since they were 12. Um, because their legs were unaligned, God grew out their legs, lined them back up, and they were healed. Um, and then I began asking people, I said, so what other testimonies do you have? So there are a few of you who may have a testimony. Panfilio, would you come and start? <clears throat> if anybody else has a testimony they want to share, let me find this microphone here for you. Um, Go ahead. Hi, my name is Panfilo. <coughs> keep, keep going. All right, my name is Panfilo, and I've been coming to Res Life for on and off for two years now, going to Texas and back. I go to other churches, but um, this, past, this past week uh, I was de dealing with a lot of uh, neck and uh, head migraines. I went to the, the ER, and the doctor said it was uh, migraines, but I've never experienced anything like this. And um, for the healing, now it'll work. All right. <laughs> for healing, uh, I came in Thursday and, and got healed by the power of Jesus Christ. But I, I've experienced uh, the healing before through my life, and uh, I've got away from it. I've healed people in the name of Jesus Christ, but I, I stepped away from it, and I got so busy working. I got so busy in life that I forgot the healing comes from Jesus Christ, and I could have done, I have the power myself to heal myself, but I had forgotten, and Res Life was just provided, and at the right time, at the right moment, when I was getting attacked by the devil, and uh, the devil didn't want me to come here and give this testimony today, and I'm here for the love of Jesus Christ, and the power, and the healing, and miracles of Jesus Christ, and only through him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pamphilio. <clears throat> Anybody else have a testimony they're willing to give? Jonathan? I see that hand. All right. Yeah, um, my, uh, this week was really amazing for, for me, my wife. Um, uh, personally, God had shown me that he was going to, he told me on last weekend that he was going to transform my wife before my very eyes. And Monday came around, and I was like, okay, God. And then Tuesday came around, and uh, she got prayed over, and she got healed of a um, condition that's been, she's been dealing with um, IBS for her entire life. Um, and I know many other people deal with that, and people try and go to the doctors and treat it by different things, but Jesus truly healed her that day. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> God is so good, and just to see him work, see him confirm things, see him truly practice healing in the modern day, it is truly for right now, truly for right now, and um, just as a quick side note as well, um, we have a young adults group um, meeting tonight, um, I know it can be really hard out here for young adults, and uh, just know that there is a good godly group, if you know anybody who needs to get involved with some good godly young people, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're meeting tonight at 5, and there's pizza. <laughs> all right. Thank you. A two for one. All right. Anybody else before we continue on? All right. Thank you. I guess I can put this one down. Okay. Well, we'll get into today's message. And I feel like God was putting two things on my heart this week. And at first, I, I, I thought, well, how, how is it that these two things are coming together? Because, because I felt like God was talking about purpose and, and 
fulfilling that purpose for your life, finding, recognizing God's purpose for your life. And then I also felt like God was also speaking to me about, you know, his, his power and, and what we had been experiencing throughout the week. And, um, and then he showed me how the two come together. So when we look at our lives, I want you to think about your life. Our lives, we tend to live them in stages and in phases. We have our childhood, we have high school. High school is like a period within your life, and then you have, you know, college, another stage in your life, then, and not everybody does it in the same order, but maybe then it's marriage, or maybe then it's career, and then it's marriage, and then kids, and then financial freedom, and then maybe empty nest, and we, we tend to look at our lives in these blocks and think about, well, how awesome it's going to be to get to the next stage. And when we look back, even in the Bible, we see different people in, in Scripture who lived their lives in stages. We had Joseph. Joseph was home. He had all the big older brothers and sisters, and, and then he ended up being sold into slavery, and for a while he was a slave, and then he was in jail, and then he was promoted to ruler of Egypt. And I don't know about you, but I look back at that stage and I think uh, I could pass on being the youngest of 12. I could pass on being in jail. I think I'd pass on being a slave. Second most powerful in command in the known world sounds okay to me. You know, when he got to that final stage, David was a shepherd boy, then he was a warrior, then he was a refugee as he ran from, from the king, and then he became king. And a lot of times we, we look at life that way and we think to ourselves, I will be fulfilled in the next stage. How often do we look at situations and think, well, the reason I'm not fulfilled, the reason I'm not happy is because, you know, my, my career hasn't taken off yet. I'm not making enough money yet. Or my debts haven't been paid off. When I finally pay off those debts and then, right, and we, we look at our life in these stages and oftentimes we put our hope in the next stage. James chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. <clears throat> it says this. Therefore, confess your sins once to another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. This is talking about God's supernatural power and presence in our lives. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much when put in action and made effective by God. Its dynamic can have tremendous power. All right? Let's, let's read this again. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. How many of you want to see healing and restoration in your life? The heartfelt and persistent prayer of the righteous man or woman, believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Verse 17 Elisha, or Elijah, excuse me, was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical and mental and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. It's interesting that it, this verse is talking about the power and the healing and the restoration and, and all of these awesome and exciting things, and then it brings up Elijah and it says, by the way, he was as messed up as you are. says he prayed intensely for it not to rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its crops, as usual. 
Now, I want to bring you back to that story. If you recall, Elijah had, had spoken to the king, and he had prophesied that it would not rain. And the king didn't believe him. And for three years, it didn't rain. And then he came and he prophesied and said it would rain. And it did. And then on the same day, he outran the king's chariots in a 17-mile run. Supernaturally. Now, just for a minute, if... If you had just witnessed the supernatural fulfillment of those things in your life, how many of you feel like that would be significant? I mean, what if you had just prayed and ended a three and a half year drought? What if you had supernaturally outrun horses on a 17-mile run? What if, what if the supernatural had just taken place in your life? What would that look like? Now, what's interesting is that took place in 1 Kings chapter 18. Immediately following is 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So the king comes back and says, oh my goodness. He tells Jezebel, his wicked wife, he says, this is what happened. The prophet told me that it wouldn't rain and then it didn't. And then he said, now it's going to rain and it just did. And then this happened and he outran my, and he said that the, the prophets of Baal were going to be killed. And he said this and he said that. went and complained to his wife Jezebel and how that Elijah had had the prophets of Baal executed. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. So Jezebel threatens his life. And it says this, verse 3, and I chose the New King James Version because of how clearly it states this. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Let's just, let's just go back and, and think through what just happened. Elijah just prophesied, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He then prophesied, and it came back. He also just won the victory against the prophets of Baal. They were all executed. Then he gets one threat. And immediately, all of that supernatural just disappears in his mind. He then, and, and I like what it said here, it says in verse 3, when he saw that. What did he see? He didn't see anything in the natural. In the, what he did was hear that Jezebel threatened and described what she would do to him. And when he saw with what eyes? With his mind's eyes. When he imagined the fulfillment of her threat, he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba. In verse 9 and 10, it says, And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, and they've torn down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. This is Elijah's picture of his situation. All of that amazing stuff just happened. God just confirmed his word through that prophet. But when that prophet heard the threat of Jezebel, he ran into the wilderness. God comes and says, what are you doing here? This is obviously not God's plan for his life. But he's there, and his response is, Oh, I have done all this zealous stuff for the Lord, but I am a victim. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They tore down your altars, and they've killed your prophets. Remember, the false prophets were also killed. Yeah, there were some prophets that had been killed previously. Just then, it was the false prophets that had just died. But he didn't bring them up, notice. And he says, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He says, I alone am left. He was, he was depressed. He was suicidal. He, he tells God, take my life. Was his perspective of the situation even accurate? Verse 18, and you can go through and read the whole story at some point if you'd like. I'm bumping through just some of the highlights. God responds to Elijah's twisted perspective. His perspective was, woe is me. I am completely alone. Only I have been zealous. Only I, and I am alone, and now they want to kill me. Whoa, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. God responds and says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He looked at that situation and the power, even the power... We have been talking and we as a church are pursuing the move of the Holy Spirit in this congregation, in this community, in this city, in this state. How many of you are with me in pursuing the supernatural and God's power pouring out in this place? Yes! Here's what I want, I, I, I believe God wants us to notice in this. Don't believe that it is the power of God that's going to make you happy. Elijah experienced the supernatural, but he still chose to see himself as a victim. He did not see himself in God's eyes. He saw himself through Jezebel's eyes. When we look at our life and we think, well, I will be happy, fulfilled, accomplished if, when, and then we put out that thing into the future. I'll be happy when I make more money. I'll be happy when I'm, I'm in the next stage, phase, thing that's happening. When we come and we, we start talking about the supernatural, we say to ourselves, well, when, when God uses me, then I'll be happy. Panfilio, can I share what you told me about your dad? Okay. This morning when I was talking to Panfilio, who just got up and he shared how God healed him of the, 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 the migraines, and, and he had described it earlier as a, as a numbing on half of his body, and he'd been to the ER to try to get rid of it. Now, he shared with me 
He said with us, he says, you know, God has used me in healing before. He shared with me earlier that his father had cancer and had been miraculously healed. Now, I, I say that because we think to ourselves, if, if God used me to cure cancer, then everything would be just fine. I mean, right? Like, wouldn't, if, if something had happened in my, if I ever have a supernatural experience, well, then, then my purpose, my fulfillment, then my life is going to be good. Elijah experienced the supernatural, but he chose to see himself through Jezebel's eyes. Bonfilio shared how in the past things have he has experienced supernatural things, but that does not force you to see yourself through God's eyes. Mike Benson was sharing this week about our identity, who we are in Christ, and how important that is. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 or 23 7. It says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I believe that what God is, is sharing with us is that his identity for us is what matters. Not, not the presence or absence of a supernatural experience, but his identity. We cannot expect our identity to come from a supernatural experience. Does God desire to have supernatural experiences and, and to walk in our life? Does he? Yes. Yes, but we will be mistaken if we expect those to create our identity. Our identity is apart from that. It's apart from that. Mike gave an example, and to me it stood out. I hope it stands out to you the same way. He was talking about modern missiles and how they have a guidance system in them. And they, they tell the missile, hey, I want you to hit that target. And then they launch the missile. If something gets in the way, the missile will go around it. If you push the missile to the side, if you, if you, you know, it used to be, and as a hunter... I, I've been out hunting with my bow and arrow and shot at a deer and a little twig got in between. And that twig just sent my arrow off in the wrong direction and I totally missed. But if I was firing a modern day missile, that twig would veer off and the projectile would self-correct and just, just head back. No matter what you do to these missiles, no matter what gets put in their way, they just go around it and they keep going for the target. See, that is our understanding and image of us. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It didn't matter what happened to Elijah. We look at those situations in his life, we see the supernatural that took place, and we think, well, obviously, if that happened, it would totally change the trajectory of my life. The truth is, if you don't change what you believe about who you are in Christ, then it won't. You can have a healing in your life, and if you keep your, your same self-image, you'll be right back. People can treat you badly. They can treat you right. And you will still see the way they treat you as, as victimhood. Well, they said they did that because, because they want something from me. They don't actually respect me. They, they did that for this reason, for that reason. Realize when we have a, a certain self-image of ourselves, we will, it doesn't, whatever, we can push things, situations can happen, God can move in your life, He can do all of those things, but if you don't accept His description of who you are, then you just go back. You go right back. Elijah experienced all of that amazing stuff. And then he's right back in the desert asking to die completely 
depressed. We would have thought that those experiences would have totally changed the trajectory of his life. But when he saw, when he imagined, when he accepted Jezebel's forecast for his life instead of God's, he became discouraged. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, just looking at the wording of this verse, it talks about the weapons. It talks about the fight. It talks about demolishing strongholds with power. And then it says we demolish arguments. I've said this before, but the way that this verse is building up, we think that they're probably going to mention just a demon with a really scary name. And then it says, your weapons that you're fighting with aren't the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments of every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What do these arguments and pretense do? They set themselves up against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is the truth. The arguments and pretense that we are fighting and doing battle against are the arguments that are contrary. Jezebel's forecast for his life was an argument against God's truth. God says, I'm with you. I have a plan for you. I'm using you to impact your nation. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. Her argument was set up in contrary to what God had said. And then it says, and we take captive Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I am always taken by surprise by how militant and how action-packed this verse is until it gets to the word thought. All of that militancy and all of that battle is so that we take captive, not demons with strange names, the thoughts, and then we make them obedient to Christ. What does it mean to make a thought obedient to Christ? How can my thoughts be disobedient to Christ? This, it, it is, this scripture has made it clear as bell. There are thoughts that are obedient to Christ. There are thoughts that are not. In your head, have you ever taken inventory? Do we ever give our thoughts? Do, do we have criteria for which thoughts are allowed to stay? Or do we just, it, I, I'm thinking it, so I, I mean, I let it in. It's just my thoughts. It's just my thoughts. What, what, what am I going to do? Not think something? <laughs> yes. Do we take captive a thought? How do I take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. The Bible describes as Christians that we are in a battle and that that battlefield is taking place in our minds and our hearts. 
it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers over this dark world. I am excited as a church to grow and to move forward and to experience the supernatural as a regular part of our lives. To see healings taking place on a regular basis. Not just when someone comes and prays, but because we are praying. Another testimony I heard was somebody who left the healing service, went home, and their kid had a fever. They prayed, Lord, I rebuke it in Jesus' name, and the fever broke. You know something? I'm just as excited, if not more excited, about that testimony than I am about the people who came and, and were prayed for in the church building. I am excited to see those things. But I feel like God's word to us is that we cannot put our expectation of identity in the supernatural that will take place. It is, it is not, I will be happy when. I will be okay when. But that I am who God says that I am. I am the head and not the tail. We are victorious. We are in a battle, and that battle is taking place in our hearts and minds. My grandmother has, has drawn this picture for me dozens upon dozens of times, and she's drawn it for my, for my kids, but my grandmother would... would draw like a shoulder, she'd come up, it'd be the ears, and then the head, and she'd make this like silhouette of a head, and then I can picture it in my mind, and she would talk about the thoughts and the things that I hear, that I let in, and then she would say to me, you know, what do you meditate on? You can't stop a sound from entering your ear, but... What do you welcome to park in your mind and then meditate on over and over again? Elijah, despite what was going on, let that report from Jezebel come. And then he began to envision the fulfillment of her prophecy. And all of the progress we would have expected of someone who had just experienced everything he experienced, just gone. Gone. God has purpose for you and I. Psalms 112, 6. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. God desires that the impact that we have be of everlasting remembrance. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are to be righteous, not perfect. Say that with me. I am the righteousness of God. Do you realize that our righteousness means our right standing? You and I are not judged by who we have been, what we have done. We are judged by who Jesus is and what he has done. That is who our identity is is. That's where my identity comes from. Psalms 112 says, we will be remembered forever. Ephesians 4.1 says, therefore, the prisoner 
of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Say it with me. I am called. You are called. My word to you is, do you believe that God has called you? When you think about your calling, do you think about what God is calling you to do? Or do you think about all the reasons that someone somewhere has told you you won't be able to succeed? When I say the word calling, what comes up in your mind? Well, yeah, you know, I, I was probably called for that, but I, I think I blew it. Because I did this and because I didn't do that and because, you know, I mean, I, I think back, back when I was a kid and I, I think God wanted me to go do this and do that and I was supposed to go prepare to do this and that and then I didn't do it and so probably I missed my boat. And, and now, you know, Maybe my kids or grandkids are going to do something significant. Walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. You have been called to make a difference. God has called you. <clears throat> I think I've shared the story before of Lynn. When, when I was... Mm, I don't know, in junior high, somewhere around that period of time. Um, my parents rented a room in our house um, to an elderly lady who, when she was, and I don't know exactly, you know, I was a junior high, so my definition of elderly was probably different than it probably is today. But when she was a teenager, she had felt called to missions. She had gone to Bible school, gotten out of Bible school, um, gotten a job, bought a car, started paying off the car. By the time she paid off the car, she needed a different car. She bought another car. Just went through life. Never fulfilling the call to missions that she had felt as a teenager. She had never gotten married, but she was, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just wildly guessing, probably in her 50s, early 60s. And had just resigned to living this, just a normal life. And as a family, we were going on a mission trip, well, a mission trip. It was a family vacation slash mission strip. So many of my vacations growing up involved, you know, we went to a church, we preached there, and then we did something, and then... So we went to Mexico, where my parents had been missionaries, and she came along. And we got down there, and we got to a, uh, a town there, and there was an, orphan, there was an orphanage there, as well as a, a Christian school. And the, Christians, the folks at the Christian school were talking about the different things that they needed. Short story, or long story short, she didn't come back from vacation. She, she went down there for what was going to be 10 days and spent more than 10 years. She had believed that her calling was too late, that it was gone, that it was no more. But the Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. What does that mean? It means that God has put purpose in you. And that purpose, if we will embrace it, is just like that target-seeking missile. Life comes along and tries to push it off course. And God, he just looks at that situation and says, nah, I'm ready, I'll point it back. And then something else happens and, and you weren't expecting and, and another barrier comes up. God says, well, we can get around that. The gifts and callings that are on your life 
are just like that heat-seeking, target-seeking missile. But if we embrace the thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, if we embrace the identity that the enemy paints for us, then we're turning off God's guidance system and we're listening to that. And we are, we are steering our life. Proverbs 27, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You and I have been made, made, to fulfill God's purpose. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, a lot of people read that verse and think that the focus is on the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The fivefold ministry. But you know what they exist for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry is what the saints, all of us, are called to do. The fivefold are just the pit crew for the real accomplishment of ministry. You see that? My job is to equip you to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to do. Thinking about that, some of us have sat back thinking well, I don't know if I'm a pastor. I'm not one of the five, so there's not really much I'm supposed to be doing. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. You see, the fivefold ministry exists so that you can run a home run. That's what the church is here for. That's what the fivefold ministry is here for, so that you can fulfill the gifts and callings that are on your life, the, the purposes for which you were made. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, and I'm reading from the Amplified again, his own masterwork, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us god has made ready good works for us to do the good life comes when we obey god not when we try to make ourselves happy. How many of you ever tried to screw in a screw without a screwdriver? Have you ever tried to use pliers? Trying to grab the head of a, of a screw and then trying to, to get it in? See, that's us trying to fulfill our lives without God. But God has purposed good works for each and every one of us to do. I don't know what God has put in your heart. But I know he has placed something there. Some of us know immediately. Some of us have crammed that so far down we quit believing it was even a possibility so long ago 
that when I say something like that, you just immediately go to Jezebel's description of your life and you just say, but this is who I am. No, you're not. No, you are not. God has a purpose for you. Acts 26, 16, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness and sins and a place among those who are sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart by faith in me. When we have faith in God, we are sanctified, set apart, given a purpose. That purpose is to do what the Bible calls good works. To do the things that he has called us to. Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Time's up. God's kingdom is where? Here. here. If it was here then, then it's definitely here now. Change your life and believe the message. What is the message? The message is what God has spoken to you. Ephesians 2. Whoa. I'm almost out of time. I believe that, that God is stirring in us His purposes. If you are unsure of what God's calling is for your life, then ask Him. I double-dog dare you to ask Him. Say, God, what is your purpose and calling for me? And then don't you dare listen to Jezebel. Don't you dare go back and listen to that voice that says you're a victim. We are so good at twisting everything that happens around us to fit what we've expected. Elijah lived one of the most supernatural, incredible weeks you could possibly imagine. And still, he twisted that to support his suicidal, depressed self-image. That is not God's plan for you. You are not a victim. You are not the tail. The Bible says you are the head and not the tail. That you are victorious. That he has plans and purposes for you. So I challenge you. I challenge you in your prayer time. Go to God and say, God, what do you purpose for me? How, do, how am I supposed to see myself? And then ask him, say, and how does that different than the way I've been seeing myself? If I have been accepting a picture of who I am that does not come from you, show me what to reject. What thoughts I need to bring into obedience. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for what you are doing in the hearts and lives of people in this church, in this community. Lord, we just praise you. I believe 
that the Holy Spirit is, is quickening people and will continue to do so throughout this week, Lord, that you are showing people the purposes and callings that you had for them that have been there for decades but have been pushed aside. Lord, I pray that you would quicken those things in our hearts, that you would help us recognize the negative beliefs that we have allowed to derail your plans and purposes for our life. I thank you in Jesus' name for every person and every life that will be impacted by these people as they fulfill God's calling on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. The number one calling of God on our life is a calling to relationship with Him. If you have relationship with Him, if you know that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God, I want to ask you to just raise your hand. I love seeing the movement just all around the room. When I say, who knows they're right with God? The Bible says, know that you have salvation. Did you, did you realize that it doesn't say hope? It doesn't say, wait until you die and you'll find out. It says, know that you have salvation. How do we know? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. If you do not know that you are right with God, I don't want you to leave today. I don't want you to turn off the screen today without knowing. You can know. We will do what that scripture says and we will know with certainty that your sins are forgiven, that you are no longer separated by any guilt or shame. If that's you, with every eye closed just for a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and we'll pray together. Is there anybody here present? Perhaps you're watching online and that's you. We're going to pray together for you, with you. So pray this prayer after me. Say, Dear God, I believe that you love me, that you died for my sins, and rose from the dead. I accept your forgiveness, and I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if that was you, please send us a private message, put a comment on the video you're watching there. We want to get some information to you. We have a booklet that we can just send you a link to that will help you to make the next steps as you just grow closer and closer to God and fulfill His purpose for you.